The following message is from the Church at Greer Station. For more information, visit tcgreerstation.com. I want to start us off with a, with a question, and the question is, why are you here today? Why are you here right now? What time is it? It's 528 p.m. Why are you here? 528 p.m., whatever date it is, April 3rd, Sunday in Greer. Now, we can ask that question, and you could say, yes, I can give an explanation of why I'm here. I'm, I'm in town this weekend, you know, about 4 o'clock, 4.15. I started to change my clothes. I got my kids in some clothes. I grabbed some snacks. I put people in the car. We, we made our way over here, and now we're here. And that's why we're here. Is it a miracle that you were here? Now, is it a miracle that you're here? Now, the simple answer would be no. But in some ways, it's a miracle that you didn't get in a fender bender, that you didn't uh, run out of gas, that your transmission didn't go out, that you didn't hit a nail and your tire blow out, that you hit a curb and your tire go out, that a kid didn't get sick or upset or throw up on the way here. Anything else that could have happened that could have kept you from being here. Those things could have happened, and they do. And yet, that's not the way it was tonight, at least for you guys in the room. Maybe there's someone that's not here that was on their way, and they got changed because of something. But I'm thinking even even bigger. Why are you here today? Is it a miracle that you are here? And I would answer that it is a miracle, yes. Why are you here right now in Greer, 5.30 on a Sunday night? What has led up to this point in time? Why aren't you at another church? Why aren't you living in another city? Why doesn't your family live in another city? You're visiting them this weekend. Why don't you live in another state, another country? Why don't you live somewhere else around the world? What decisions and choices had to be made to get you to this very point? What had to happen today and yesterday, a week ago, a month ago, a year, a year ago, a decade ago, centuries ago, millennia ago, to get us to this point where we are all gathered in this gym at Greer First Baptist Church? Literally billions, trillions, quadrillions, numbers we probably can't even know, of decisions and moments and actions had to take place by your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, adoptive parents, siblings, neighbors, strangers, people you don't even know have affected you to get to this moment in time. And that's not even to mention all the decisions you've made about jobs and schools and locations to live and houses and whatever else that you decide on a daily basis. We understand that a lot has gone in to get us to this one moment in time. There are many parts of that that we understand. I get that I you know, got myself dressed. I drove here. Uh, you guys probably did something similar. We get some of the parts. We understand it. We've observed it. But there are many parts that have taken place today, yesterday, and in the past that are mysterious to us, that are mysterious to get us to this point. Now, we're in a series in Ecclesiastes. Essentially, we've been talking about that life is hevel. Life, it's not pointless, it's not meaningless, but it is a vapor. We're here today 
and we're gone tomorrow. Trevor reminded us uh, last week that we, uh, w- we define wisdom back in a, a series on Proverbs as learning to live well in God's good world. And so Trevor showed us last week in Ecclesiastes 10 that wisdom is very much worth the pursuit even in this hevel life, even in this vaporous life. He even said that wisdom is all the more necessary because life is hevel. And tonight, the preacher is going to offer us some more general wisdom about the nature of life. And it's interesting, we get a lot of almost proverbial truths. You'll see uh, verses 1 through 4 are set off as poetry in the ESV. Verses 4 through 10 are all their own separate little paragraph with almost their own separate little meanings. And so we're going to do our best to kind of dive in and see what God, uh, what wisdom God has to offer us tonight. Let's read the, the first couple of verses. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Now, I read a bunch of commentaries in the last uh, couple of weeks, specifically on these two verses, and pretty much every commentary highlights there's no contemporary parallel to whatever is taking place, to casting bread upon waters. The meaning is not super clear. Now I'm going to offer some options. I'm going to provide maybe a little bit of an argument for where I lean, but I think this is a vital lesson in studying our Bible in general. When we interpret the Bible, we do not want to form our doctrinal beliefs from one verse that maybe is less than clear. We want to form them from a proper study of what the Bible has to say about a specific area. We always want to be Uh, to let the clearer verses interpret the less clear. There are parts of our passage tonight that feel clear to me. We're going to get to those. We're going to talk about those. We're going to root ourselves in those. Things that we should do and think. But we do not want to neglect verses 1 and 2, but we do want to hold them appropriately in relation to other verses around them and the rest of Scripture. So here are some options. Three kind of big options as we think about verses one and two, and these will uh, appear on the screen. The first one is cast your bread upon waters is essentially generosity or charity or alms. This was kind of the older Jewish and Christian interpretation. Essentially, this refers to giving to the poor. And essentially, the find it again after many days essentially means that you'll receive kind of charity or you'll receive the kindness in return. The contemporary English version translates, uh, anytime we read any translation, any translation of the Bible you guys are reading, there is interpretation made about how the words should be formed, what words should be said, how they are to be put together. So the contemporary English version kind of takes this interpretation. Be generous and someday you will be rewarded. That's how they translate uh, the verse 1. And so in faith, be generous, and then in faith, expect a return down the road. Now the second one, the first one was generosity, the second one, essentially these verses counsel long-term investment and kind of diversification, spreading out of one's financial resources. Bread is sent out on a ship, kind of like an ocean voyage, seemingly wasted in the short term, but surprisingly floating back to the sender when the storm is over, when the trial is over, there will be a return. 
And then if you do not use your capital for trade, even across the seas, this even highlights kind of maritime commerce, uh, doing commerce across seas, if you don't do it, you will receive little in return. But then verse 2 is kind of be sensible. Don't gamble everything on one venture. Spread it out across seven or maybe even eight portions. The NIV translates uh, this verse, ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. And then the third option is kind of the, these verses highlight the futility of our actions and ultimately that God is in control. Casting bread or sowing seed on water seems totally futile. You don't know what the actual results will be because it's in God's hands. You can do something senseless like put bread on water and expect it to float around and eventually return to you and be in some kind of good condition. Ancient bread was often very thin and would even sometimes dissolve in water, so it's almost senseless to do it. Or even I think about bread like we would have today. You put it on water, or you put it in water, it becomes soggy and just becomes gross. Uh, This past week, uh, we published a a podcast, and Trevor's surprise question for me was one thing that you just get irrationally upset over, something that irritates you, something that maybe is totally pathetic. I had a buddy growing up who just wet bread, soggy bread bread was just the thing like he just wanted nothing to do with it he didn't want to talk about it probably all of you kind of that seems even gross to to think about but just wet bread is just just gross so this futile action of making bread wet or making bread dissolve but then eventually you will find it after many days you'll find success this is kind of this third interpretation you can do something sensible like verse two spread out financial resources to protect from disaster but then For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. You don't know when disaster will come. COVID, war, a car accident, cancer. We're totally ignorant of the future and all of its possibilities. So the first interpretation, it's it's true. Give money to the needy. There's a lot of verses in the scriptures. There are a lot of verses that talk about this. But there seems to not really be a lot like this in the preacher's teaching in Ecclesiastes. And the text doesn't seem to say much about giving to the needy. So I I don't favor this interpretation. Again, I read commentaries. All of them, multiple ones favor all of these. And so there's experts out there thinking differently. I'm just trying to do the best I could with it. The second interpretation, again, it's true. Don't, Don't put all of your eggs in one basket. That proverb aphorism is a, is a thing for a reason the preacher spoke uh, previously in chapter five of the uh, vaporous nature of financial gain so while it makes logical sense to diversify spread out resources this must be held in tension with any other passages that the preacher speaks of or then definitely when we get into proverbs and then other passages uh, we want to be hesitant to just build up our own kingdom and then the third one, it, it makes sense, this kind of futile way of our, our, our futile actions and God's control. It makes sense with the preacher's general thought in this passage, but for me, is, it doesn't seem to be maybe the best interpretation of the specific words in the passage. So I almost favor almost a, a, a mixture of, of two and three. Kind of the point I came to is that we are to take a long-term view of life, accepting both the good 
and the bad moments. Chapter seven, verse 14, the, the last time I, I preached in Ecclesiastes, talks of a day of prosperity and a day of adversity. There's kind of good times and there's bad times. We understand the reason behind spreading out resources, but verse two makes clear that we do not know when disaster takes place. It could be a minute from now, something terrible could happen. It could be an hour from now, a day from now, five years from now, hundred years from now, we have no idea. And we also don't know how many are the days, uh, the second half of verse one, for you will find it after many days. Is that a few days? Is that seven days? Is that a thousand days? Is that millions of days? But being overly precautious is not the answer. We do not know when misfortune is coming. We can be certain that uncertainties are coming, but we're totally uncertain of what and when those will be. So we want to prepare appropriately and we want to live. And the rest of our passage is going to help kind of encourage us that we are to sow our seed broadly, that we are to be active and not just reserved. Chapter 11, verse 3. This is, this is an amazing verse. Just hear it, hear it read so clearly. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, In the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. I read the verse and I'm like, I don't, what what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with this? A tree falls and there it will lie. Thank you, thank you, preacher. That's very, that that is mind-blowing. Now our lives are changed. We're ready to follow Jesus. We are ready to go. But I think the point is, and we're gonna continue to get in this, that parts of life are very understandable. We understand that this afternoon I was sitting in my car kind of, getting my last minute preparation for this and I looked outside when I got to this verse and it's a bright blue sky. There's no clouds in the sky. I have my windows rolled down. I feel like wisdom says I can keep my windows down. I can have my computer out and it's okay because what does wisdom say when bright blue skies are out there? There's not a cloud or bright, uh, just bright clear skies with no clouds out. It's probably not going to rain. But if you see a dark, ominous cloud overhead and your car windows are down and your car doors are open and you have electronics sitting out outside and there's kids' toys spread out everywhere, if the dark, ominous cloud comes, what do you do? Do you just kind of sit? We're just going to hang out. I'll probably get to that in 30 minutes, an hour, when I'm a little more ready. And it starts to sprinkle a little bit. The dark, ominous cloud, wisdom tells me, get out there, make something happen, move, go get the stuff, fix it, get it in the right order, because rain is coming. If you're under a big tree, if a tree falls, if you're thinking about you're under a big tree and you hear a big crack, you don't just think that somebody's, you know, breaking spaghetti noodles over a pot. You probably don't think someone's like cracking their back just for comfort. If you hear a crack and it's overhead and you're under a tree, what do you do? We probably all like, cover our heads, we kind of do a duck and cover, protect kind of the most important part of our bodies and protect, our, protect ourselves. If you hear a crack behind you, you, you turn, you look, you kind of get in ready position. If the tree is cracking and it's starting to fall, we're moving and we're moving quickly. Wisdom doesn't say just stand there and just see. I know it's starting to fall, it'll probably stop. Wisdom doesn't say that, it's gonna fall. It's gonna fall right where you are. If a tree falls, Where the tree falls, there it will lie. Wisdom says a tree doesn't just float off into thin air. 
the tree falls and it just magically kind of floats off. It starts floating off. You just see trees kind of floating off everywhere around the world. That just doesn't happen. But if a leaf falls or a candy bar wrapper falls, what does wisdom say? Wisdom says that it'll probably start to float around. It might go across on the grass. The candy bar wrapper, you know, you try to pick it up, but then it kind of keeps floating away, away. You finally get embarrassed and you just like step on it and then pick it up and then throw it away. Wisdom has something to offer to us. I remember Trevor, I don't remember what sermon he was preaching, but he was talking about kind of wisdom and his sons. And Trevor just has a better idea of how gravity works than a, than a four-year-old boy, a five-year-old boy, a six-year-old boy. Gravity works a certain way. And after a certain amount of time, you start to understand how gravity works. Audrey, uh, just this past week, we have a little two-year-old girl. She's just started to, we, re- we realized like a week or two ago, maybe one of you were asking her like, can you jump? And she like just had no idea what jumping was. We had never talked to her about what jumping was. And so now she starts doing this like, she's like trying to jump. And I don't think we've ever seen air between both feet at the same time. But she's like, daddy, I'm jumping. And it's kind of just like a side to side, get one foot off the ground. But we know that when we jump, what happens? We come back down. You're not going to float off. I can't kind of fly over and into the balcony. That's just not going to happen. Why are people afraid of heights? Because if something happens and you fall or you lose your footing, yesterday um, Seth makes us walk across this scary bridge the, at the men's retreat where you're walking on uh, slats of railroad and it's like, I'm looking down, it's like, it's, it's kind of far down. I'm a little, my feet are a little kind of catching and I'm, I'm shaking a little bit. I'm afraid of heights because of, I know how gravity works. And you guys know how gravity works. So I think the, the preacher is telling us Parts of life are understandable. You can understand things about life. Verse 4, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Again, we, we can very naturally understand life. Too much time just reading the skies will do nothing, will lead to nothing. Waiting for the winds, waiting for the rain, waiting for the perfect time to do whatever you want to do will lead to nothing if you're always waiting. If you never stood up, if you guys sat in those chairs for the rest of time, what would happen? You would just be there. You would be there. You would live your life. You would need people to bring you food, uh, and then you would eventually die. If a farmer never sows seed, it would be moronic to assume that there will be an excellent crop at harvest. If you ate ice cream and then candy and then cookies and then cheesecake and then some regular cake and then some fries and then maybe some fried chicken and then like a liter of Coke and then you said, I'm going to go run a marathon, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? You, you are going to feel terrible. Benji, Drew, you could maybe tell us what happened. Probably not. I know you guys don't even you know, maybe touch any of that stuff. But you would feel terrible even if you just sat down after that. You would feel terrible. Wisdom tells us that. If you just thought in your mind tonight, all right, Aaron brought up this illustration, I'm going to make it happen. If you just thought tonight, I'm going to go outside here at this gym and I'm going to run a four-minute mile. I know I can do it. I can do it. I know I can. If you think you're going to do that, you walk outside and you haven't run in a week, five weeks, 
six months, a year, 20 years, and you think you're going to go run a four-minute mile, I've got bad news for you. The human body is just not going to allow you to do that. If you watch people work out and run, observing how they move, you know, see Trevor lifting some weights at the gym, if I just go watch him, what's going to happen to me? Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm not going to reap the benefits that the other people reap. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. Ancient people would try to read the winds and the clouds to time their actions perfectly. Be weary of trying to find patterns and complex combinations of predictable and unpredictable events that you then try to manipulate to your ends and profits. Embrace life for what is good, for what it is, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Don't wait for the perfect time. Waiting for the perfect time means you will never sow nor reap. Part of life, parts of life, there are parts of life that you can understand, but many parts are a mystery. Let's look at verses five and six. We're gonna see kind of this mysterious part of life. And note here the, the phrase, you do not know. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and in the evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. You do not know. Verse 2 also has a very similar phrase, for you know not what disaster may come. What do we not know? Verse 5, we don't know how a baby in his mother's womb has the spirit come into him or how he becomes a spiritual being. We have some idea of how the physical creation of a baby comes about, but we have little to no idea how a soul or a spirit comes to dwell inside of that child. Verse 5, we do not know the works of God. He made everything. Just sit on that for a second. He made everything. That is totally mind-blowing, and we know a minuscule, infinitesimally small amount of how he works. Verse 6, we do not know what will prosper of all the seed that we sow. I think verses 5 and 6 shows us that life is deeply mysterious. God's work is deeply mysterious. We can objectively say in this moment that God is working. I trust that God is working in you tonight. He's doing something, but we do not know how he is working. I was uh, with one of our members uh, in recent days, and she talked about herself, about not knowing herself for, for a year and a half and it's kind of interesting to think about. In the present moment, it's kind of like, how is God working? I don't know. But then when we look back, we see how God was working, even in the hardest of times where we feel like we don't even know ourselves for a year, a year and a half. But we look back and we see God was working us. God was maturing us. God was shaping us. Yesterday at the, at the men's retreat, I, I encouraged the guys just to think about that we want to see growth in godliness 
over time. Now, I got made fun of. I, uh, if you're new in the room, I majored in math in college. I get made fun of for talking about math. Um, ben and myself, we, that's, that's the area we roll in. I talked about an x-axis of time and a y-axis of growth and godliness. And we want to see general growth and godliness over time. Now, it's hard to see how God is working in the moment. Right now, today, in the next five seconds, what is God going to teach you? It's hard to know. I could just be quiet for five seconds and we maybe won't have learned anything. But if we look back, if we walk faithfully with the Lord, we trust that he's working, we look back over a year, six months, three months, ten years, we see how God works, how God grows us. But none of us knows or understands what God does in his world. This is not our world. We don't understand and we definitely don't have control. So I would encourage us, embrace the mystery. Enjoy it. We live in an industrial, technological, enlightenment age full of innovation, use of science, and reason. Many of us want clear, perfect answers to everything, to any question that you may ask. But no one gets that. Literally everyone has faith in something. The question is, what is our faith going to be in? The Lord has you here. I'm not 100% sure why. Why are you here tonight? We can't know the work of God who makes everything, but I know what we need to do. We need to invest our lives. You don't know what will have a resounding impact and prosper and what won't yield any fruit. Verse six, thinking about sowing our seed. We don't know what will prosper and what won't. In thinking about this sermon, I have tried over the last couple weeks to invest my heart, my soul, my mind into this 30, 40 minutes, knowing that this was coming. Now I'm up here delivering it. It may totally change one of your lives tonight. And by God's grace, that would be amazing. It may have um, no impact on you at all. You may not be even able to like pay attention. There may be a kid in the room, you may be having a back pain, a, an ache, and it was just hard to pay attention to what Aaron was saying. You may be totally distracted. This may just be one part of your sanctification diet. Just a teeny tiny little bit of helping you grow towards Christ's likeness. But no matter what, I recognize I'm not really in control at this point. I'm going to articulate the words that I think the Lord has given me. I'm just here to invest my heart and life in you and then see what happens. But in many ways, I'm not going to see what happens. You're going to go home. You're going to go about your days. You're going to have, you go about your weeks and months. And probably every one of us will forget Aaron's sermon on Sunday, April 3rd. And it's like, man, I spent a lot of hours. I spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of praying. It's like, I don't, I don't know what the Lord's going to do tonight. But I've got to trust that he has called me to invest my heart and my soul to preach the word and to teach it. And by God's grace, we will all continue to grow together and be united. So we see, you know, in these verses that we are to give our lives away. We're to invest it for the sake of the kingdom. You don't know what God is doing in and through you. The small act of service to someone may be exactly what that person needed. So sow good seed all around you and let God prosper what he will. Engage vigorously and continuously 
We are ignorant about what is and what will be the result of what all that we do. So don't be afraid of failure. Give your life away for the sake of others and for the sake of the Lord and let him control the rest. Verse seven, light is sweet and it is, a, it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Now again, we get a taste of the understandability of life. We're gonna have two pictures on the screen. To be in the dark all day is draining. We hear of people that have emotional struggles if they're in parts of the, uh, the world where it's dark 20 hours a day, 21 hours a day. I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, with the Franklins, Jonathan living in Alaska, I know I, it was probably dark a lot more of the day, and it's like, that's, a, that's, a, that's negative. We, we like light. Light is sweet. It is pleasant to see the sun. We made Trevor get a window in his office. It was going to be just a dark hole. And it's like, no, Trevor, light's going to be good. It's good for you. And so we think about the, the dark room. There's just kind of, there, there's a scariness. There's certain connotations with that. I don't know. I, found, I don't know where I found that picture. This picture is probably some, you know, magazine somewhere, some nice uh, millennial uh, 2022 kitchen uh, that's just lit up beautifully and perfectly. I think about myself. I, I lived at 146 Broughton Drive right outside of downtown Greenville with uh, three other guys right after graduating Furman. And uh, we were all about trying to live as cheaply as possible. So we would sit in the dark pretty much all the time. There, we, would never, we would really never open up the blinds. We would just sit in the dark. We had what we called the square. We just had four sofas in our living room, and we would just all sit around at night, and we would talk, but we'd have no lights on. We would pretty much just be our phone light. And my wife, she at the time, she lived about a block or two away, and her house is like lit up and beautiful and open and airy, and now my wife has been an influence on me where I could no longer, there's no way I could go live at 146 Broughton Drive at this point in my life, because I know light is sweet, and it would soak the joy out of me. But we want to live in the light Light is sweet. We want to live with godliness. We want to live with right living. It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Our last three verses. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring, will bring you into judgment. Verse 10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Now we get a taste in these last three verses, both of the understandability of life and the mystery of life. We're to enjoy life under the sun. If you have many years, if you live many years, I pray that you will rejoice in them. Don't wait for the thing that you think will bring happiness. Youth and life, they are but a vapor. But know that all is not sweetness and light. There will be, there are dark days that are coming. The days that you will be dead, these dark days, are many. It stretches eternally in the future. We will be dead for eternity. Come a day from now, five days from now, 20 years from now, 80 years from now. Our life on earth is but a vapor. Our days after this life will be eternal. But there is hope. And the hope that we rest in is Jesus 
Christ, who has offered his life, who has redeemed us, who has given himself for the sake of our sin, and we can trust in him. We can have faith in him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We can dwell with him for eternity. One of the things the men talked about this weekend is living the way that we were created to live. And we are created to worship Jesus. All of us are going to worship something. All of us will hold something in highest esteem. And I pray that that would be Jesus. Because then that means our days of death that are going to be eternal. We're going to have many, many, many days after we are dead. I pray that those days will be spent in the presence of Jesus Christ, worshiping the King who offers redemption, the one who created us and formed us in our mother's womb, who knew our name before we were a blink in our parents' eyes. Verse 9, be of good cheer. Enjoy the days that you were given. Now this is a great exhortation for me. Am I joyful? Am I cheerful? Do people gain life being around me? Are people pointed to Jesus? Now, verse 9 kind of was the big question mark for me. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. That sounds a lot like the present day commentary of follow your heart. We hear that in, in movies. Casey and I, I've said this before, Casey and I love Hallmark Christmas movies. One out of three, there's going to be some follow your heart. Probably one out of two, maybe all of them. Uh, follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. And it's like, don't follow your heart. And we're going to talk about why. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Well, this should be on the screen. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And I love that question mark. Who can understand it? This fits in very nicely with Ecclesiastes 11. The heart is a mystery. The heart is deceitful. So what is the preacher saying? Again, we talked about it at the beginning. We need to let verses interpret verses in the Bible. What's the preacher trying to say? Do the things that you enjoy. Life, it's understandable. It would not make sense to only do things that are drudgery. If you like basketball, you like painting, you like woodworking, running, jogging, walking, uh, you like being inside, you like being outside. I had a professor in seminary who would talk about he was an avid indoorsman. Uh, he wanted nothing to do with being outside. He just wanted to be indoors. If you like, whatever you like that's in that realm, great. Do those things. But do realize, and this is so important, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. What does the end of the verse say? But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. You will give an account for all that you do, all that you spend time on. Everything you do will be judged by God. That should be scary. That should be weighty. It should also be freeing because we know that Christ is the one who will forgive us for any, any wrongdoing. For myself, I, the food I love the most in this world is like I'm a five-year-old little boy. I just love pizza. I love pretty much all types of pizza. Uh, we had pizza last night. Um, we were watching the Duke-North uh, Carolina game. We, we enjoyed some pizza while we did that. I, my, I could probably eat pizza almost at, at every meal. But what does wisdom say? It's not good to eat pizza every day or maybe even very often. 
But I can enjoy the good gifts of God. If you want to eat a pizza, I think it's okay to do it. Pizza, I don't think, is necessarily moral or immoral. But if I said, I ate 12 pizzas last night, it, it becomes, starts to become a moral or immoral issue. Eating 12 pizzas, out of bounds. More than likely, I think. I think we could probably all agree. Gluttony is, is talked about pretty clearly in the scriptures. Or if you eat zero pizzas to ensure that you have a certain body image, so that everybody looks at your body in a certain way, that also is becoming a moral or immoral issue. It's probably not good. Now, if you just don't like pizza, that's totally fine. You don't have to eat any pizza. I'm going to eat pizza. Now, if you were following your heart and you chose to eat a pizza, that's fine. I'll high-five you. If you follow your heart, you walk in the ways of your heart, and you cheat on your spouse, that is immoral. We are not going to high-five you. You, are, you should not follow your heart if you have any inclination to cheat on your spouse. If you have an inclination to marry an unbeliever, I would say that that is wrong. Even if your heart says that that's what you want it to do, God has made clear that we're not to be unequally yoked. God's judgment is happening, and it will happen. We are going to be held accountable. The end of life is coming. The days of youth are fleeting. Do not excessively dwell on the difficulties of life, but trust Jesus, pursue him, enjoy his good gifts, but live knowing that he will hold us accountable. So our key principle that I think we, we derive from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, I, I told the guys yesterday, the questions I always ask when, whenever I read a passage, what do I need to know and what do I need to do? What do I need to know and what do I need to do? Now some passages, it's just what I need to know. I just need truth to saturate my brain and that will affect everything else. And in some passages, it's, it's what do I need to do? What do I need to know? The key kind of principle for tonight, life is understandable. There's a lot about life that we understand and that you understand. Life is understandable. Life is mysterious. It's a paradox. We have to hold those in tension. So give your life away. Sow seed and invest your life in God's kingdom. God will judge accordingly. Life is understandable. Life is mysterious. I would even encourage you, if you have time tonight or tomorrow, just go back and read these verses and almost just mark, does this verse, is this understandable or does this verse emphasize mystery? But either way, give your life away, invest it in God's kingdom, and God will judge accordingly. Now, we cannot see God's whole plan. Nothing we can do in this world, uh, nothing, we can't do anything in this world to find complete satisfaction. We can't uh, find the key to the, all meanings. But we can trust that the Lord is working. And also for you, wherever you fall, you, you may be totally okay with life being a mystery. My wife has, has a gift of, of just being able to be faithful and just trust that the Lord is working. She's okay with life be mysterious. I much more lean on the other way and I want life to be understandable. I want to get my hands around the belief or the idea or the way things work. But there's a lot of freedom to just being, just being able to say life is mysterious. Yet we are to fulfill God's purpose. We are to accept our daily lot 
That's from God. You will have extremely hard days, and I hope you'll have extremely sweet days. And I pray that you will accept them from the Lord, trust Him, and walk closely with Him. Now, how do we please Him when there is so much we do not understand? We can know God, and we can know His Word. We can know God, and we can know His Word. And then lastly, we can turn to Christ. We can be daily reliant upon Christ. There's a lot that we don't understand. And there's a lot we don't even necessarily understand about this. My Bible's 1,500 pages. It's not easy to understand. But it's good and it's sweet and it's worthwhile to invest the rest of your days to understanding more about who the Lord is. So why are you here today? Why are you here today? A lot has taken place to get you to this moment. And this moment, I'm just going to say, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the one who offers redemption and forgiveness, the one who has uh, forgiven us through his blood, shed, uh, shed on the cross, raised again on the third day, defeating sin, death, the devil, and we can embrace true life, and we can live for him. In just a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Uh, the band will come up, and we'll uh, have a minute or two. If you have a bulletin, there are some questions for reflection in there. And essentially, it's just to think about, are you okay with life being both understandable and life being mysterious? What do you think about it? How, do you, how are you going to process that? And then who are you going to look to in the midst of that? Let's pray. God, you are good and holy and just. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we thank you that there are many parts of life that are understandable. We get how gravity works. We um, have medicines. We have cars that we're able to, to form and shape. Um, Lord, we, we have so many things that we're able to do. Because we understand how life works. We understand how this world works. And yet, Lord, there is so much that remains a mystery. We cannot know your works. The one who makes everything. We don't know what you're doing here right now in this moment in our hearts and in our souls. We don't know what you're necessarily teaching us. I definitely don't know what you're doing in each and every soul that you have in here tonight. But Lord, we beg that you would work mightily, that you would use this night, maybe in an extreme way, or maybe just in the tiniest, teeniest bit of a way to, to bring about some level of sanctification in our hearts. And I pray you would help us uh, to see Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you have redeemed us. We thank you that you rule and you reign the right hand of the Father and that you are ultimately in control of all things. Lord, help us to worship you. We love you.